Welcome to Skills for Growth, the podcast for business owners in Greater Manchester. I'm Andy Hall, and in this episode, I speak with award-winning health and wellbeing specialist, Maria Manda. Maria gives advice to SMEs on the Skills for Growth programme to help them develop a healthy, thriving and productive workforce. I loved chatting to Maria. She had so much great stuff to share, including why employee well-being is so important for companies big and small, how we can all prepare for future challenges and the strategies we can all use when we're feeling overwhelmed. Hi, Maria, and welcome to Skills for Growth. Hi, Andy. It's great to be with you today. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks for joining us. Maria, so why should I take health and well-being seriously as a business owner? Well, as a business owner, your employees are your greatest asset. They can also be your most costliest asset as well, because if they're not performing, they're not being productive, if they're feeling stressed or they're going off sick, um, ultimately they can leave the business as well. So that's going to negatively impact your business. So for you as a business owner, if you're investing in them and you've got a healthy and thriving and resilient and high performing team, that's going to drive business success, which ultimately will also have a positive impact on your bottom line profits as well. So you mentioned about productivity there. Uh, So Mm -hmm. health and well-being has a direct impact on productivity as well. Absolutely. Because if you've got a well workforce that are thriving and they're resilient, they're going to be more productive for you. Should there be strategies in place now? Is is this the kind of thing we're moving into? Do we do we have to have ideas, strategies, methodologies in place? Because this has all changed, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So pre-COVID, well-being was very much a tick box exercise in the workplace. Um, people putting on yoga classes and putting mental health first aiders in place. Um, and it just felt very much like a tick box exercise. I don't think people quite understood it. It was also seen as a little bit fluffy, actually, as well. But I think the, the COVID's really shone um, a beaming light on well-being and people are now starting to see the value of it. So one of the things that I do when I go into businesses as the health and well-being specialist on the Skills for Growth programme is we help businesses to develop their well-being strategy. Um, So we look at what the issues are as a business. Um, We also get buy-in as well from the senior leadership team within a business. We also ask employees what they want as well, because that's also really important to get their buy-in. And then from there, we help them develop a well-being strategy. So what I normally do, Andy, is I normally um, have five pillars to well-being in the strategy, focusing on physical health, first of all, mental well-being, social, financial well-being, and also the working environment as well. That seems like a really easy thing to to consider just with it, you know, with the five pillars. You mentioned the word well-being quite a lot. This is something which is we're hearing a lot more now recently. What does well-being actually mean? Well, well-being to me is it's a good state of wellness where you're thriving in life. That's physically, emotionally and also mentally as well. And if you're well and you're you're thriving in life, you're going to be doing that in the workplace. You're going to be achieving business success. You're also going to be achieving your goals. Um, You're also going to be aware of yourself, aware of people around you um, and form and build those relationships as well in the workplace. So you've you've talked about the the strategies, the five pillars of well-being. This Mm -hmm. sounds like a lot of work for me as a business owner. Is it going to take a lot of time to get these strategies in place? Is Is it a difficult thing to do? No, absolutely. And that's one of the things that we can support you with um, on the programme. 
Um, we do follow-up calls with you. We help you implement the strategy and we also deliver workshops as well to fill in any gaps and address any of the issues that crop up during our discussions. This is something we're talking about a lot more than, than ever before. You mentioned COVID and that's shined a light on some of these issues. Mm-hmm. So the things have been changing a lot over the last couple of years. So has well-being always been an issue? People are talking a lot more about mental health. What's happened over the last few years? Yeah, absolutely. Well, if I go back, you know, 10 years ago, I was responsible for health and safety in the office. And I, I always felt it was very much about risk assessments and very much, you know, about the safety aspect. But it never focused on people's well-being. Um, and I used to see a lot of stress in the workplace. Mental health, certainly 10 years ago, wasn't spoken about in the workplace. That was seen very career limiting if you were seen not to be coping in your role. So I think gradually over the last few years, we've really started to see that change. And we've really started to have these more open and honest conversations and start to support people with their mental well-being. So mental health was a bit of a taboo subject at one point. You, you yes, touched on absolutely. A, so you touched on something there, which was it's almost career limiting in some respects. And is, is that still the case or are, are, are things changing? Oh, things that are definitely changing. And in the recent CIPD Health and Wellbeing at Work report, 47% of private um, sector organisations now have a strategy in place. And that's great news. Still a long way to go. But, you know, the tide's certainly changing. And I think COVID's also shone a great light on wellbeing. And we're now seeing the importance of it. So this is something that's going to be a trend that we're going to see going forwards, particularly with mental wellbeing, because a lot of managers don't know how to deal with it, particularly the smaller organisations as well. So it's really important that we, you know, we put a framework in place, we're training our managers, we've got mental health first aiders in place and other support as well, such as employee assistance programmes, counselling. I'm also seeing coaching within organisations as well. So would you describe the difference between, say, counselling and coaching? Well, Counselling are actually trained counsellors, so they normally look back on things that have happened, whereas coaching is very much future looking, but coaching is more goal setting, whereas a counsellor will support your mental well-being. Okay, it's, it's really interesting stuff because that's, that's a bit of an education as well. You mentioned that things have changed over the kind of last 10 years. So why is it so important to you, Maria, to be involved in this particular field? Obviously, it's more than just a job to you. I can get that. So what, why is this important to you as a person? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well-being is really important to me. It's something that I'm really passionate about. I have a lot of knowledge and expertise and I have a very holistic approach as well to well-being. So I've actually taken mindfulness and meditation into the workplace and also been a pioneer for getting Reiki into the workplace as well, which is a holistic treatment. Um, I'm very much passionate about helping people um, to improve their lives, not only professionally, but also personally as well, and for people to be living their best life. So mindfulness, I've, I've heard a little bit about mindfulness. Um, I kind of understand a little bit how that works, but how would that work actually in the workplace? Because surely you can't do mindfulness if you're working on a production line or working in a factory or if, you know, if, you, if you're working with a client. So tell me more about how you'd implement mindfulness into the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. Well, some of the big corporates are now bringing mindfulness into the workplace and actually Google actually give their staff time off to practice mindfulness. It's all about being in the present moment, 
And once you've cleared your mind, you're then open to be more creative and to come up with new ideas. So a lot of organizations are actually using this practice to stay ahead of the competition. That's interesting, but it's all well and good for Google, who probably can afford to allow people to have time off, to do different things, to work on themselves. But for SMEs, business owners, particularly around Greater Manchester, we've just come through a really difficult time. We're going to go through some more difficult times. What's the investment of time to implement, say, mindfulness techniques? And what's the payoff? Yeah, sure. Well, Two things that underline all of my work are self-awareness and self-care. So mindfulness is actually a strategy that you can use as a self-care technique to support your mental well-being. So with all of my work, I want people to go away almost with a well-being toolbox of things that they can dip into that's, you know, strategies that are going to support them. And, And mindfulness is one of those techniques. So it could even be that, you know, you just take 10 minutes away from your desk to do some simple breathing exercises if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, um, or also just simple breathing exercises just to kind of clear your mind ready for the next task that you've got to undertake. I could do with a little bit of that sometimes. Thank you for that. You mentioned Reiki as well. What's that? Reiki is a holistic treatment that I've brought into the workplace. It's a treatment that balances all of your energy system. You've got seven energy points in the body. And I use that as a treatment for employees that were um, feeling a bit stressed and a bit anxious. And it's, uh, it, it proved to be very popular. I took that into some uh, to big corporate companies. You mentioned this toolkit. Um, so I've, I've got a toolkit now. So this is now looking at me as an employee, somebody who's got a job. I'm not the business owner now. Whose responsibility is it to fill this toolkit up? Is it, is it mine? Is it, is it my boss's? How does this actually work? Well, it's the employees, but as an employer, you can signpost people to support and really drive that awareness um, and create like an almost like an education and awareness program to educate their employee on how to do that. Because um, if you think back, when I think back, you know, even going back to school, no one really ever taught you how to look after yourself. There's certainly more awareness now, but I think it's really important that we're driving that awareness to educate employees and and I think as a society as well. And it's really important that leaders in the workplace are leading on well-being and helping people um, to support their well-being because that's going to also have a positive impact on the economy and, and the wider society as well and will have less impact on the NHS if employees are actually taking responsibility and investing in their well-being. You mentioned about particularly around younger people now, uh, there are are different generations in in different workplaces. Is this causing any kind of difficulty at all as as an employer to understand how to treat people differently depending on their age or their generation? Yeah, that's a really great point, Andy, because we do have a multi-generational workforce now. We've actually got five generations in the workplace, which is, is the first time in history. And each generation has their own set of needs. So for example, your millennials and your Gen Zs, they do require more support with their mental health. Though they're more tech savvy and they've grown up with technology, these are the generations that are feeling more isolated, more lonelier, and are more depressed than other generations. So they need some more support with their mental well-being. So is that as a result of technology or, or are there other factors at play there? I would say technology 
is a great factor. And for example, social media, I think is, you know, is fantastic. Lots of positives with it, but there's also lots of negatives as well. And I think that's really had a negative impact on a lot of people's mental well-being. And does the screen time have a have a part to play in in somebody's well-being or mental health? Yes. Well, I think we've all been zoomed out during <laughs> uh, during lockdown. <laughs> it's funny so we because always... we're doing this over over, over the internet yes. now, isn't it? So I'm not going to be too critical about technology. So sorry, yes. you talk about being zoomed out. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I'm very conscious about is meetings and how much time we spend on screen. So I've started to encourage people to have walking meetings, you know, get creative about your meetings. Do you need meetings that last an hour? You know, can you have an agenda that's timed where your meeting's only 30 minutes or have 50 minute meetings? So you've got a 10 minute breather where you can walk around, stretch your legs, just have a bit of time out before your next meeting. So I think we just need to be more creative in how we work so it supports our well-being as well yeah yeah i can i can certainly agree with that you mentioned about gen z and millennials what are the other generations and their particular challenges so the baby boomers and gen x they want more flexible working they also want more health checks as well just to flag any issues with their well-being going forwards we also have an issue as well with women in the workplace who are now the fastest growing portion of the UK workforce. And when most of them are hitting in their sort of late 40s and 50s, will be going through the menopause, which has a really negative impact on the well-being and on their work in the workplace as well. We've also got what we call the sandwich generation, where you've got children that are still at home that may have, you know, be at university or may not gone to university. But then parents are also carers for that for their parents as well. So we've also got that issue as well. And there is a stat that say that says by 2040, one in six workers will have to balance their job with caring responsibilities. So these are all things that I don't feel are on employers' radar yet. And we need to really start thinking about the multi-generational workforce and what each needs of those generations are. That's fascinating, particularly the, you know, the sandwich generation, if you like. At yes. first, I thought you were going to start talking about food and diet, <laughs> um, but, but I can totally understand that because I myself have children who are now going to university, who've had to study at home and then moving away. But I'm also caring for elder parents as well. So I'm kind of plus balancing a job and recording podcasts as well. I can kind of understand that there's a lot going on now. Things seem a lot more complicated than, than they used to do. You also mentioned about menopause as well. This is one of those things which just hasn't been spoken about a lot recently. So, of course, I'm a male. I'm not going to suffer with this. And I have no understanding of of what the impact that would be. So if, if I'm going to learn some kind of empathy, what do I need to know about this as, as an employee, for example? Yeah, well, it, we need to know about it to support our employees. But managers also need to know how to support their employees as well. So I'm actually doing training now in the workplace. I'm doing two workshops, one with employees. So they create awareness of the perimenopause. That's the stage before we go through menopause and how it impacts on a woman's health as they go through the menopause as well and how that impacts them on the workplace. Because it has actually resulted in in women leaving their jobs um, and, and leaving the business. And we need to make sure that that's not happening. And it's really important that managers are trained as well. 
And so, so we, we breaking down a few walls now, quite a few different taboos um, on a on a kind of similar but different subject. You mentioned that things have changed a lot over the last ten years. Eleven years ago, I I left my last job because I had a breakdown at work, but there was no support whatsoever. There was no strategy. There was no health and well being policy. I was a problem to that line manager. Now I know things have changed a lot, which is really good, and people are talking a lot more about it. How do you think? Things are going to change in the future. What you know? What what's evolving now in in terms of employees and employers in taking responsibility for that holistic view? Yeah, we've got greater awareness now in the workplace, and employers are actually creating those open and inclusive environments where we're getting the conversation going, and that it's okay not to be okay. Employers are now putting in mental health first aiders as a first point of contact particularly if there is any risk um, of suicide or self-harm as well. So it's just making sure that, you know, employees are getting, you know, the support that they need. And it's really important that managers are actually trained as well, that they're able to have those open conversations with employees, that they feel comfortable in having those conversations and having the confidence to have those conversations as well. And then also know how to to deal with, with any mental health issues and where to signpost employees too as well for any external support. So organisations now may have employee assistance programmes in place, or they may have other charities, for example, Mind, that they can signpost people to as well. You can't put a price on life, obviously, and you've touched on some really you know, hard-hitting topics there. Is it expensive to train people on um, being mental health first aiders or to have employee assistance programmes? Is it does it is it cost effective? Well, absolutely. There is a cost element to training people up to be mental health first aiders and also to put employee assistance programs in place. But then you have to weigh up that cost in your business. If you've got somebody ultimately leaving your business um, because you know they're struggling or they're not feeling supported, you've then got to recruit and replace and train up that person. And when we look at the economy, you know, pre- COVID, 17.9 million lost days were lost due to stress, anxiety and depression. And pre-COVID, it was costing the economy for mental ill health 74 to 99 billion a year. And I do think we're heading towards the second pandemic because I think coming out of this pandemic now, we're going to see a wave of mental health issues and seeing a lot of social anxiety um, as everything's opened back up again, we're seeing PTSD, particularly with frontline workers. And I've also had calls as well from parents who want to support their children. So there's a lot of anxiety with teenagers and children as well. So I think the second fallout of the pandemic is going to be, you know, a wave of mental health um, issues. I mean, they're massive numbers. Numbers obviously don't tell the full picture. We're, we're talking about people's feelings and emotions and the impact it has on each other, obviously, we, we're social creatures, we live in communities, yes. <laughs> and when we're at work, we spend a lot of time with our colleagues. So working with somebody who's struggling will have an impact on other people as well. But those numbers were massive. They're, they're frightening, Maria. Yeah. You just made a very good point there as well, Andy, that the way we've lived over the last year isn't normal. It's mm. not normal to be socially distanced, not seeing people, not being able to hug people. We, we are social creatures and... Uh, it's really important, particularly as we you know, head towards this hybrid working environment, that we're 
putting things in place to make sure we've got good communication, we've got the right platforms in place to capture people working in the office and also remote working, and that we've got things in place to support people's mental health. And one of the key things for me is that connection. It's being connected. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of us miss, particularly those who are working from home. It was, at first, it was a bit of a kind of a novelty, if you like, being able to yes. get more done at home without having to commute, if you like, saving a bit of time and a bit of money there. But the negative impact I'm hearing from other people is that the mood is dropping very, very quickly, running out of energy quite quickly as well. What yes. are the trends that you're seeing in this area? Yeah, well, I've seen quite a lot of burnout um, during lockdown and also as we come out of it as well, particularly with business leaders who've been firefighting all year to keep their business afloat and keep people employed and all the challenges um, that they've had to face. So I've seen quite a lot of burnout with leaders and I have encouraged people to take breaks, make sure you're taking breaks. So a lot of people thought, well, we're in lockdown, no point taking any breaks, nowhere to go. And even this year, a lot of people may not have taken holidays because they can't get on a plane and go abroad. But I think it's really important you take regular breaks. And I always recommend that you have a break at least every quarter. So something booked in to break up your year. And holidays are for, again, connecting with your family and your friends, having fun, having adventures, but also just to relax and rest and recharge. So really important that people are taking that time out a lot of companies as well during lockdown have been allocating self-care days or well-being days. So I've seen lots of companies do that as well. And again, that's giving employees the opportunity to take responsibility for their well-being to say, do you know what? I can't quite face today. I just need a day where down tools, you know, watch Netflix or whatever all day or go for a nice long walk. So again, it's getting people to take responsibility and to be very self-aware. So when they are flagging, they are taking that time out. It's really interesting that we can speak so candidly about not feeling well, mm. but we're not talking about a physical illness. You know, we're not talking about, you know, a dodgy stomach or a bad back now. We're talking about, you know, overwhelm and burnout as well. You know, these are words that we don't hear a lot of. And I think it was really interesting that, you know, you spoke about the impacts on the business owner or the leaders, those in senior positions, the ones yes. who are kind of putting a front on, if you like. So what what have you seen and heard from senior leaders? What are the things that they're talking about at the moment? They've just been constantly firefighting. So, for example, during July and August, we've had the pandemic. So they've had you know teams of people going off. So business is really starting. I'm finding in the marketplace that business is really starting to pick up now. I feel the economy is starting to pick up. But just as that's happening, they've then had challenges with COVID in the team and people having to, to isolate. So, and I think these challenges for businesses will continue during winter. We don't really know what's around the corner yet when all the children go back to school. We've got lots of offices opening up now from the 1st of September, but there are still lots of unknowns. So just going back to the employee, if I can then, most people listening to this are probably going to be employees with a few employers and senior leaders there. Could you give me some tips to look after myself as an employee? What should I be doing on a daily, weekly basis to, to look after myself? Absolutely. Well, the first thing to do is check in with yourself every day. Always ask yourself how you are on a scale of one to 10. One being not so good, 10 being great. And if you're not feeling good that day, what's going to get you to a 10? And then it's having your own 
little wellbeing toolbox to dip into? Is it a case that you need to, you know, take five minutes, you know, every 90 minutes just to have a break away from your desk? Are you also building in exercise into your day as well? Are you getting enough daylight? Are you feeling connected to your family and friends? Have you got goals and things to look forward to? Are you developing as well? And and do you keep learning things? And also feeling connected to your wider community and also giving as well. I'm actually making loads of notes here, genuinely making <laughs> loads of notes here, because I'm thinking yeah. there are some days like this, and I, I'll be honest with you, I never get Monday-itis because I love my job, but I get Tuesday-itis. I, I kind of feel like that's like a bit of a, a lull, and I'm thinking on a Tuesday, I'm, I'm writing a scale of 1 to 10 down, and what can get me to a 10 uh, exercise daylight? This is amazing. Yeah, also sleep as well. I always say sleep is absolutely key for your, well, it's the foundation of your well-being. So it's making sure that you're getting enough sleep. So the Sleep Foundation recommends that you get seven to nine hours of sleep and it's quality sleep as well. And I think all of us during lockdown, we all suffered with our sleep where we woke up, you know, wide awake at four in the morning. And I think a lot of that is there's been an underlying fear of what's coming next. We've almost been in fight or flight mode. Yeah. So, Maria, before we come to the end of the podcast, a couple more questions for you. What does the future hold? You know, what is the new normal? Well, the new normal is definitely going to be hybrid working. And we need to certainly ask employees what they want. How do they feel their well-being is going to be supported and also their life as well? Because our priorities have changed now. We want to live our day with purpose every day. So hybrid working is going to be very topical also, the four-day working week, I can see becoming on, on the agenda as well. I'm also starting to see lots of companies adopt an early finish on a Friday. Um, and this is going to be a, re- a really interesting area because other organizations that have adopted this, particularly in Europe, they've seen improved performance, happier employees, high engagement. And people are generally happy because they're getting a good quality of life, of work-life balance, and also good family time as well. The mass resignation we're starting to see now as well, where people are resigning basically from the jobs because during lockdown, they've reviewed how a company's treated them. They've also had chance to kind of stop and take a step back and think, right, what's important to me in my life? You know, I want a career change. I want to get out of the rat race. I'm also hearing in London as well that people are actually are getting out of the rat race and they're moving out of the city as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see how some of these um, some of these trends, you know, uh, kind of lead into the future. And I just think the workplace needs to keep evolving as the world keeps changing as well. So we shouldn't be going back to the old. We should all keep on moving forwards. We're in the age of technology. We've just made this huge transition and we need to work with that and keep working forwards. Wow. You're a prophet as well. You've actually just told the future to us all there. (laughs) Um, So we're going to wrap up soon, but just one final question for you. So as a business owner, what would you recommend I do after listening to this podcast? You've got to invest in the well-being of your employees. It's going to be the best investment that you ever make because your people are literally your business. It's really important now that managers are stepping up and leading the way and leading by example. So becoming role models as well. So are you getting a work-life balance? Are you looking after your well-being? You know, are you switching your laptop off in the evening? Are you sending emails late at night? So it's all of these things. Are you taking a lunch break? So it's it's been a role model for your employees. 
I also feel managers need to have a different skill set now as well. It's not just about technical skills, but post-pandemic and in the world that we live in, you've got to lead with empathy as well. You've got to be authentic. You've got to be honest and have that emotional intelligence as well. Particularly in the hybrid environment, if you've got employees where you're having conversations with them on Zoom, it's recognizing if, you know, they're starting to, you know, dip in, in their well-being in any way. So managers certainly have to have um, a people skill set now in, in the world that we're living in. Maria, there's so much information you've just given us in the last half an hour Thank or so. You. It's incredible. I can see this is something that's really close to your heart. And I'll be Absolutely, listening to this. Absolutely, Andy. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, <laughs> I'd like that, but um, there's only so much my brain can actually take. There's only so much information <laughs> can actually take. So I'm going to be listening to this again in the future. Thank you very much for joining me on Skills for Growth. It's been a pleasure, Andy. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please follow Skills for Growth in your podcast app. And if you have time, leave us a review or rating. For more information about preparing your business for the future, visit Skills for Growth SME dot co.uk. See you next time.